Well, hello and welcome everybody. Today we are talking about hybrid work. We're talking about methodologies and experience that could be learned from each other, trying to figure out if we're doing the right thing these days. Organizationally, some of us are at home, some of us have to go to work. Organizationally speaking, we're trying to figure out what is the next plan for, heck, what's the plan for next week, much less the one year, five year, 10 year plan. But there are some people that are doing really well and there are some people that can offer guidance in terms of what we could be doing better and how to even benchmark yourself against others. It's all about hybrid work on today's Tech 37. It's Worldwide Technology in Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. My name is Rob Boyd. Well, all right, gentlemen, so glad to have you with us. I've been excited about this topic. You guys each bring a unique perspective that I think is important to consider uh, for this notion of hybrid work and really um, helping the audience uh, as we discuss amongst ourselves, leveraging your experience about how do we know if we're doing it right? Everybody's in some different form, it feels like, organizationally, um, you know, uh, still figuring out how to be effective in this environment. Uh, some are probably doing it really well. Some maybe not so well. Some are just curious if they are uh, somewhere uh, in there, and we'll talk about how they can do that in just a moment. I want to start with some introductions, though. First, Charlie, I've had you on before. I wonder if you could tell us who you are and uh, what you're responsible for there at WWT. Sure, happy to. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm a chief digital officer here at Worldwide, and so I spend most of my time out with our clients, really thinking through their customer interactions, their employee interactions, what those experiences look like. Uh, as you can imagine, hybrid work has thrown all that into a, a bunch of new topics, so excited to be here and, and talk with you about it today. Absolutely. Well, good to have you back. Thank you, man. Well, David, I just met you as a fellow Texan down in San Antonio, I think it was, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, Houston, but, but close enough, yeah. Oh, Houston, okay. <laughs> the other big city uh, without hills. Uh, perfect. Well, <laughs> I wonder, David, could you tell us a little bit about you? What do you do for Worldwide? So I'm a, the principal solution architect for a digital workspace at WWT. So I specialize in engaging with a lot of our largest customers uh, around their broader digital workspace strategies and capabilities. And it, for us, digital workspace encompasses the, the broad set of technologies that people engage with in order to perform their work. Okay. So uh, everything from end user compute and collaboration tools to applications. So, All right. Sounds like a nice narrow area to focus on there as well. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, last but not least, Rick Dudek. Rick, I think you're a security expert uh, with the, the practice there. I hope I'm stating that correctly. I want to tell us your full sure. name and what you're responsible for at Worldwide. Sure thing, Rob. Thanks for having me. Uh, Rick Dudek, I'm a senior practice manager inside of our security consulting services group. So uh, our group is focused on helping our customers uh, stay safe. Really, what can they do from technology and services and governance and compliance to maintain the integrity of their business and, and stay safe out there? Well, I think staying safe is uh has so many meanings these days, uh, but we'll stick with that. And so I think we're going to lean on you heavily at all the stages within here. And guys, we had met earlier, obviously talking through how we should approach this topic. And you guys have been writing on this. You guys run uh, various workshops and briefings for customers. And so you've also uh, had various levels of customer experience through this whole time. So nice thing is you've not been um, lazy during the time period like I have, uh, taking advantage of as much uh, streaming video as I can. But uh, I kind of broke it into three areas, and this is a little bit different because you've got a few more areas, but I think they kind of all work together. Because for one, I want security, of course, throughout all of it, as you do. Um, but the way I was looking at this is I saw um, 
and but correct me if I'm wrong, operational and business risk uh, considerations. And specifically, I'm going to ask Rick to uh, kind of set some foundational stuff for us right off the bat with security at the top. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're going to be done with security, Rick. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. I'm going to start with you in just a second. Yeah. But second one we'll hit after that point is around trends in the landscape. And David, I think you and your team have been working on some tools to use to actually enable organizations to plot their experience and just give you uh, give people some ways because I think that's really important here and I think that's going to be one of the best outcomes of this conversation is probably just knowing uh, where are we in relation to others in our vertical and in our industry and and what does that imply in terms of what we should be doing or not doing maybe if that's if that's a thing and then uh, my favorite always, and I'm sure this will be sprinkled throughout, but I have it as a third area, anecdotes and lessons. Um, and Charlie, I'll probably look to you to kick us off with some customer stories that kind of back this up. But all this stuff obviously is intermingled. Uh, and so it's, it, 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 it is hard to make distinct lines between them. But let's do it for the sake of conversation. And Rick, from a security perspective, what are you seeing as, the, as kind of the primary challenge that, that is revealing itself from a security perspective, perhaps that's un- perhaps it's unique, you know, since we started going into this heavy duty work from home with no advance notice type thing back in March. Exactly, Rob. Um, I think everyone was caught by surprise. You know, one day everybody's working as normal. The second day, the offices are empty and our clients were struggling with um, business continuity issues. Security wasn't necessarily top of mind at that point. It was how do I maintain my business running now that everybody's remote? There was the scramble for hardware. Uh, Laptops, you couldn't get laptops, you know, remote access, VPN hardware. It was just a matter of business continuity. And that ran for a period of time there. And then we shifted into a second phase as everybody got connected and businesses realized they could still function they went back in from a security aspect and really started to evaluate, okay, what mistakes may I have made in the rush to maintain my business? And how do I start shoring that up? And what do I need to do now to make sure I'm just as secure as I was when everybody was in? And then this next phase that we're in is we start to bring people back. People are, our clients are reevaluating what they're doing today is again, a third time of what does the long-term mean as I move forward? Well, and I feel so like that's kind of, of the landscape, Rob. Yeah. No, thank you. And I feel like part of this, and I just want to acknowledge it up front, is there's the whole, whenever I'm talking to a group of technologists about what everybody is scrambling, because I watch different customers at different levels struggle with with making these transitions. Some still are. Some have really aced it um, in, in this type of thing. But in general, it feels like everything everybody is going through is something that w- each one of us in, in our own different way has been preaching in the past to be prepared for. In other words, the ultimate business resilience exercise is, is happening in real time at this point. But still on the topic of operational and business risks, David, I wonder if you could weigh in on uh, your perspective on the important things to consider in this category as we're, as we're broaching this subject of hybrid work. Yeah, one, one of, the, one of the, the key things that you really pointed out was what we saw across our customer base was uh, groups that had kind of embraced the any, any, any concept, you know, the, the ability to work from anywhere from that perspective really did well or did better initially um, because they had already kind of adopted some of the tools and some of those capabilities that allowed people to return from home. And, and some of them leveraged, you know, some of the legacy strategy around VDI and other capabilities in order to execute that. But those groups that previously had adopted those sets of policies of being able to work from anywhere, um, and many of them were initially really seen as kind of 
perks, employee perks and, and other aspects, they, that became kind of a, a cornerstone of their business continuity um, and their ability to deliver and maintain productivity as they sent people home. And we, and, and as Rick was pointed out, a lot of these people did reasonably well. They limped forward, at least initially, when they first sent people home by leveraging those sets of strategies. But then they very quickly ran out of capacity and capability. Or as time went on, they ran into issues around patching and maintenance and maintaining security and other aspects associated to those areas. And those became some of their primary business challenges. And those were some of those technology hurdles that um, you know, we, we, we helped our customers to scramble in and, you know, deploy out either infrastructure to add additional capacity or even to, uh, build out new methods of work or capabilities and new process workflows to take advantage of cloud and other solution sets. And those sets of kind of those kind of incremental changes really kind of accelerated some of the activities that a lot of organizations were already beginning to, to, to go down. So, uh, it, you know, it, it was just one of those kind of pieces of, of let's first slap as many band-aids and triage as much as possible. And now let's kind of transition that over into how do we take these tactical decisions and make them more strategic or align those strategic decisions to a future set of, of capabilities. Yeah. What do you guys think in terms of patterns um, that have maybe, you know, are starting to reveal themselves? Cause I, one big question I feel like always comes up is um, how much, you know, what kind of things have we learned already that we know for sure are going to continue um, because <clears throat> there's been some positives out of this. Then there's some other things that are, you know, uh, I know quite a few people. Uh, I'm thankful that my kids are older, but anybody that's got younger kids and, and have any kind of homeschooling going on at home, my heart continues to go out uh, to anybody dealing with that because I don't know that there is any good answer for that. It just, it is what it is. And hopefully you don't lose your mind in the process, but what kind of things are you guys seeing patterns that you think we're going to stay? Are there things that, that should stay? Well, uh, just if you don't mind, if uh, I'll drop this real quick, but I think one of the first things that we see is there's a lot of coverage in other areas in the media and other things along those lines that, you know, remote work is the only way to work or, uh, you know, everybody's coming back into the office, that kind of all or nothing model. And what we're seeing across the board is that's that's not the reality across most large organizations and enterprises. There are in some very specific niche technologies and groups and, and, and smaller organizations, there may be, you know, a 100% decline in the office or, or change. But what we're seeing in most larger enterprises is really kind of a spectrum, right, where both the organization somewhere on the spectrum between 100% remote work and 100% on site, but additionally, different job aspects, different um, job roles within the company, as well as even the same company in uh, the same technology vertical may treat things very differently across different organizational roles. And people kind of fit in that spectrum where you may have um, the return to work is more now tied to almost like a, a negotiation, right? Between what that job role is, the culture of the organization, the vertical and what they need to do. And if you're returning somebody to work, then very often or into the office, there's a compelling reason to do so. Yeah. Either they need access to equipment or capabilities, they're a frontline worker or something along those lines, or you're delivering them an experience they can't have at, at you know, when they're remote, whether it, it's, like a, a project team that's going to go into like a project war room or a, an agile space in order to execute or, or launch a new program or project. Or if it's um, a very personal reason, like what you were pointing out, like my home life is not conducive either for 
poor lack of connectivity, or in my case, five kids, where uh, you know being able to to concentrate and do those other sets of activities while they're home and you're homeschooling or something else along those lines creates additional sets of difficulties that you need to overcome and reduce your productivity within the organization set. Well, I want to come back yeah. to you in a second and talk more about the spectrum, but Charlie, was that you just about to jump in? Yeah, your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Throw in a couple of other thoughts. So, you know, the essential workers were one of the first groups that we helped get back to work. Right. And, and a lot of that was in healthcare and in retail and education. We spent a lot of time, working with different organizations just to get those essential workers back. We also had a lot of essential workers in manufacturing and distribution and logistics, people that had to get into plants or facilities. So a lot of that was focused on safety and security, the personal safety and security around health and, and you know policies and all of those types of things. To David's point, what we're starting to see more of now is kind of that second line of people deciding whether or not they'll come back. And what we're seeing is, to David's point also, around collaboration type activity, whether that's war rooms, as you mentioned, or split teams or whatever it is in the software type world or development and delivery world, what we're seeing is the, the return for collaboration is a big need, right? We've all been out of the office for months, How, depending on where you are in the country or world, it, it's been several months to, you know, six, eight months for, for some of us. And so that return for collaboration is a big, not as much about returning back to work for individual productivity. We've, we've all kind of figured that out or been forced to figure that out however we could. But it's those the need for the, the communication, the collaboration, the softer things. And Rob, we're also getting into, it's becoming a cultural discussion as well around, do I need my people back? Do I trust my teams? Do I trust my employees in the field? Are we, are we having a good result? Yeah. Do I do I need them back? Because we're not having a good result and, and things aren't effective and efficient. And so Culture is playing a, a big part of this now, too. We're starting to see and, and whether or not people re will return and when they will return as well. Yeah, I used to be. And I mean, uh, just to, to piggyback yeah. on, on that, I, I could not agree more around the, the cultural aspects. I mean, and how you measure productivity. We've seen quite a few customers that, um, including some uh, uh, some large bank, global banks and other things, that when we were talking to them, you know, so they saw an increase in productivity. Um, but their metric was, you know, how often was somebody logged in or engaged? And then you have to almost ask yourself, is it, you know, eight hours to nine hours? Was that swing in productivity or that increase in productivity when people went home? Was that actually an increase in productivity? Or was it that the tools that you were giving them just made it take an hour longer to get their job done? You know, what that's what is it and how do you measure that? And what are your measurements of success? And I think yeah. that's one of those critical aspects that you have to ask. What do you recommend on that subject? Because I think that's fascinating, actually, because that's an age-old problem well before this, right? Which is if you measure the wrong things, you're going to be rewarding the wrong results or, you know, pushing things in the wrong direction. And so it does get more difficult. And the comment I was going to make earlier is I remember when, when I was in, had to manage people, and I don't miss those days, but... Uh, um, but also when I had gone to work for Cisco and I realized that most of Cisco, not everyone, but most of that company was good about letting people work remotely, um, for the job roles, you know, obviously that were conducive to that. There's some that aren't. And, um, but there was still a difference in there were some managers that were what we called or what I heard referred to as line of sight managers. They had no ability to assume that you were doing the right job or a way to, to, measure and say, I think they're doing a good job if they didn't see you because they measured it based on seeing you in the office. And 
obviously that's got to be, this has got to be for those type of managers, not that they're bad managers. It's not someone I want to work for, but nonetheless, they are, could be fantastic in other areas. They must be going through quite a change um, when they're forced to, to not do that. But are you guys seeing, or are you recommending um, different metrics and ways in which to um, what kind of things people should be looking at, or is it straightforward as just realizing it's a problem and addressing it? You know, I'll, I'll jump in on that one because we spend a lot of time around thinking about process and behavior and tying that into experiences and, you know, working with David and team on the tools then to support all of those things. And so we are watching people define new measurements, not just in employee behavior, but also in just KPIs that are important to the business. Um, engagement models have changed and whether the companies have fully accounted for that or not, we hear all of these, I'll pick on retail as an example, tremendous stats about you know, a thousand percent increase in e-commerce for some of these big retailers or 500 percent increases. But but it's not actually statistically correct. I mean, technically it is. Yes, their e-com is up, but all of their in-store sales are down so much that they're focusing on a metric that doesn't really change things. Now, it does change their behaviors from a technology perspective and kind of an omni-channel perspective and being ready for wherever the customer is or wherever that behavior is. We're seeing the term omni-channel that, that came out of retail moving into healthcare, being able to help a, yeah, a, a patient anywhere, anytime, right? It's not about getting to the hospital anymore. It's about providing healthcare wherever you can. We're seeing that in education where at least here for me, my boys, uh, they're finally back to school. I'm so excited, but they have the option. And with the option means you've got to be able to support both scenarios of virtual school or in-person school. And so the school is now figuring out how to, to teach anywhere, anytime. And so that term omni-channel is one that's come up a lot. Tracking that, measuring that behavior for that, you know, I'll pick on again, again example of teachers, Rob, but being a, being a teacher and having half your class in person, the other half at home, trying to talk into a camera while you're talking to students, trying to have an effective experience is tough. And so measuring the engagement of your classroom, measuring grade patterns of students is different. Looking at how do you get them to, to you know, instill the behaviors that they need to, to complete their homework. So thinking about KPIs all the way down to our kids, it's all changed. And so people are having to, to understand and, and write out new patterns for what's important yeah. Yeah. And this, of course, right, that's we assume everybody has access to these tools as well, because uh, when it comes to, to families and stuff, not everybody is fortunate enough to have the connectivity we do at our homes and perhaps live in the neighborhoods that are going to have that type of thing, high quality and, you know, and the laptops and the other devices and stuff that are required for this type of thing, much less the ability to interoperate with them in an effective manner, depending on your age and your uh, and what it is you're studying. Uh, Rick, were you jumping in there? No, I think David had Actually, something to add to that. Oh. Got it. Go yeah, ahead, actually, I think the, uh, the the KBI thing is one of the core pieces that we always look at when we're investigating these things is because every organization has different aspects that they want to measure from an employee engagement perspective, from, uh, you know, a patient outcome perspective, from a student outcome perspective, that are the real metrics that they drive their business, whether it's a repeat engagement with your customers or it's um, proving out that you're delivering better patient outcomes. Uh, you know, from less travel and 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 de-risking uh, capabilities. You know, people afraid to come into the doctor's office. So, can you engage with them from home so they don't feel like they're putting themselves at risk? Those types of outputs and, and looks are what we always try to drive towards, and we try to build those outcomes into kind of the business capabilities 
and metrics that we're trying to measure that because we can then try to translate what does it take to deliver that experience or that outcome and then work our way from there back down from that into what's the business requirements to deliver that outcome from those business requirements what's those functional requirements that help to um, deliver that set of experience and that set of capabilities and then that becomes then what's those technical requirements that drive that piece if you go with a technology first approach to it very often you 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 can you can miss the mark you can be four or five degrees off i mean there are certain things and capabilities and technology kind of pillars that you've built your infrastructure on and your your capabilities that you should leverage in order to fast track these sets but you always have to make sure that you have those kpis and those business oriented outcomes as kind of your north star in your decisions around those technology pieces so that way you can unify the direction across all these different disparate technology pillars so that you know your collaboration tools fit in to to allow you to do that seamlessly and integrate into your workflow processes your uh you know your application delivery to any device anywhere fits in so you can give people the right applications with the right access you know anywhere where they need to be that your network infrastructure matches that up because now that people are home or going back and forth into the office you have that trifecta of of kind of latency and security and other aspects where decisions can hairpin you down and create a poor experience, both for your customers as well as your internal employees. And that becomes really critical in your ability to deliver these outcomes and that success. Well, and David, I know, so I want to know how much this fits into, we, we kind of tease this tool set that, that you and your team have been working on that you referred to, I believe, as the spectrum. And the idea being there, as I loosely understand it, is being able to identify where you are in a range of um, possibilities so that so that we can kind of visually see and I think that's going to be something we share attached to some of the the uh, things people can link to uh, after the show or uh, or during the show when they're watching this but I wonder if you could walk us through kind of what is the spectrum how did this come about what is it good for so one of the things that we we, we very early uh, noticed on was um, you know, even ahead of the pandemic is there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, geodiverse workforces, you know, finding the best employee, the best candidate uh, anywhere in the world, right? As one of those kind of uh, ideal areas associated to that. And the future of work was, you know, for some organizations remote work, right? And we also saw that there was some pushback from remote work and open office concepts and other things associated with groups. Um, as well, where people were focusing and saying that, you know, no, we needed to bring people in the office because of aspects around, you know, that that inner office collaboration and, and other aspects. And and really both sides of that was that size nine shoe problem. Like, you know, one size fits all. Everybody's going to get a size nine shoe. And that model just has not worked across our enterprise customer set. That one size fit all just doesn't fit it, you know, doesn't fit everyone. So the really identifying the personas, the workflows, and the culture of each individual organization becomes very important. And it's hard to come in with a pre prescribed kind of, uh, you know, OEM centric, here's the, the, the tool package that you need to do this without first sitting down and really understanding what's the culture of the organization, where they wanna go and, and what they want their next generation set of experiences to be and everything from their digital tools and capabilities through to the physical workspace and how they engage uh, in and out of the office. And, and that kind of evolved into uh, a lot of persona-based activities and not you know, just those traditional set of personas of um, you know, here's a, a knowledge worker and an executive and a frontline worker, but really kind of drilling down into what are the real capabilities and where does that sit in? You know, is it 
and and intuitively like some of these generic personas we'll see like you, a construction worker as a persona but and and you could say oh that's pretty specific but then when you really think about it the tools like that digital capabilities and the tools that you deliver are are different even within that persona just like you know kind of intuitively that the tool belt that you give an electrician and the tools that are on there are different than the tools that would be in a plumber's tool belt or the guy doing your roofing yeah. um and i know somebody was about to tell a joke that they told the last time too but that's why um but uh you know plumbers mm. don't wear a tool belt kind of joke but uh i sorry I beat you to it but um that kind of concept in peace and doing a, a kind of a fit for purpose type of identification so that you know your uh field sales group for example might sit on that spectrum mostly geared towards remote work that comes in for you know either project or sales events and other aspects associated to it so they kind of fit in that spectrum geared more towards that you know 100% remote work kind of aspect but that may be different as you were pointing out into the culture of your organization where maybe field sales are expected to be in the office two or three days out of the week right to engage with the internal sales or other engineering teams and and so and that may be the same or different within the same industry or the same vertical or you know company or to company or division to division so you really have to kind of understand what those nuances are within the organization and really engage with them and find out what the outcome that they're trying to drive towards so that you can deliver the right tool set and kind of the tool ecosystem in order to deliver that outcome well let me ask you and yeah we all we left we all left you hanging on your joke there um, for that for that that dead silence feedback that we all love on remote conferences of any sort. Um, but I saw Charlie smiling, so I'm assuming that, that uh, he was thinking about plumbers and whether or not they wear belts. But um, I actually want to ask Rick about when he talks about the personas and, and, the, and the different things that are happening as we redefine how we look at work getting done. From a security perspective, are you is it fundamentally different or is it – I feel like a lot of us, anyone that's touched security – First, always goes back to the basics that we never seem to do right, and I figure those probably never go away. But are there some unique things that are being done differently or mistakenly, perhaps that we should be aware of in this area? Sure, Rob. There's a the persona um, example is great when you look at it from security. Um, we see customers wanting to take that even a step deeper than just the persona and down to the individual, and you start talking about identity and identity being the foundation of um, what's now the buzzword again after a decade is zero trust and a lot of our clients are are wanting to dive into what does zero trust mean and that's that's actually matching the individual users through their identity to the data and the applications that they should be able to access and nothing else right trust no one but explicitly grant that trust and we're seeing a lot of conversations around around that, especially now with a, with the dispersed workforce, because you have that access. Yeah. Uh, companies at one time had that traditional virtual private network. When you worked remote, you dialed into the central site, you had equipment sitting there. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, when we moved everybody out, there wasn't enough elasticity there. They couldn't expand fast enough for, you know, I was supporting 10,000 remote users, now I'm supporting yeah. 50,000. I could not grow that fast enough. So the the visibility shifted to the cloud, my cloud-based remote access. And a term, the other term you're hearing, you know, the acronym is SASE, but it's a secure access services edge. It's putting the security at the edge of the cloud versus back in that data center. And as you start talking about that coupled with zero trust, you start really narrowing down the uh, personas, 
but getting it even further down to the individuals and looking at what, how do I get them connected securely to what they need to access and nothing more. Yeah. And, um, we're seeing an awful lot of conversations and that whole model also starts bringing in some economies as customers and our clients look at the central site and that stack of gear that they're putting in at their central site. If I move a lot of that to the cloud, because along with SASE, not only remote access, but I also get data loss prevention capabilities. I get the, the visibility of being able to decrypt what's happening because most of the traffic on the internet is encrypted today. Mm -hmm. These services are providing that decryption to be able to look in for malicious files and what people are moving and insider threat. So there's a lot of economies that come in to moving this out to that edge and being able to recoup some of, you know, a return on that investment of recouping the licenses and the hardware I no longer have to stack up at the central. And David also mentioned as users move around, you sometimes end up with this hair pinning and latency and things like that that starts to go away as well when you start having that central place of access. So the whole paradigm shifting, everybody's looking at this as, oh, it was a revolution that occurred because of the pandemic. Actually, people were talking about that as the next evolution of where we're going, yeah. right? It's not a revolution, it's the evolution. And that's the conversations that we're having today. No, that's a good point. You know, Forget yeah, me. one of the things that you I can't hear mentioned around. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned around uh, identity, I think is real real key, is one of the things that we're also trying to balance out is not treating everyone as a snowflake, is the operational considerations within the organization that are kind of tied to some of that persona-based modeling and other aspects where you have, you know, kind of that job role persona tied in with the security aspects, with regionalization and, and different kind of almost flags that you assign to those people. So that that way you can control access expectations and look for anomalies and and what they're doing, how they're accessing stuff that drive those pieces and that general extraction. Right. You know, there's kind of been this general move across end user compute and, and other areas for this kind of uh, device abstraction layer. Right. Where um, data is extracted from the device and kind of resident across all your devices and stored within the cloud. Your applications can be delivered across whatever device that you're trying to access, whether you're on-prem or remote or um, you know, on a borrowed device, a mobile device, whatever that is, that kind of any application availability, any tool kind of capability, any service capability, and that expectation that's all wrapped within that kind of security bundle piece. So that security, the, the tools become transparent. You're engaging in your job flow, right? Because, and you're just connected. Right. Because that's one of the problems that we run into over and over again is without the right appropriate set of training and adoption and consumption of these things, then technology gets in the way of people performing their job. And it is not the job of the employee to kind of consume the technology we provide. It really has to be the focus of us to provide the technology that helps the employee do their job better, faster, quicker, whatever those aspects are. And if we don't deliver that set of experiences and capabilities, it's, we're failing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Rob, one, one thing just to toss Final in really we got about quickly. five more minutes, Charlie. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no worries. So a great example of this is a customer of ours that uh, primarily their intake model and their communication model with their customers is around a contact center. And that was centralized, uh, Chicago-based, high-rise, high-rent district, um, fairly well-paid employees, right, downtown Chicago. Um, and moving to a decentralized model, kind of having to shift all of that technology out to to forward everything to home office phones or to iPhones or to a completely different set of tools. And so they're, they're working quickly to figure out soft phones and, you know, to Rick's point around security. 
and efficiencies, there's, there's a lot that's needed to be revised. The other part of efficiency, though, is the, in working with their executive team, they've now realized that they can employ any, anyone anywhere. And so the cost of employment for them is going to change. The, yeah. the ability to get high caliber employees in remote areas at a, at a different price point than in downtown Chicago is going to change. So we're going to be shifting in economic models around employees and you know salaries and those types of things, too, that are going to drive further efficiencies in the business model. So it's, it's not just the tech efficiencies. I think we're going to see some, some greater efficiencies in the workforce and the models around remote workforces that uh, that we didn't see before. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Just to piggyback on yep. on that, though, or contrary to that <laughs> yeah, a little bit, is that there's a, you know, the, if you're not driving the right set of employee experience, there's a real opportunity cost associated with turnover and other aspects. If And one of the things that we always see is, you know, the standardization and enhancement for technology and operations that you see as a commodity versus things that you see as a differentiator innovative within your business set. And if driving employee experience and the job roles and the capabilities where there's a, a serious cost for uh, employee turnover or uh, tribal knowledge that is lost in those sets of engagements and not being able to tie that back in, as well as you know, kind of making sure that you know, this is a snapshot in time. So how do you kind of maintain this kind of like evergreen, continuously evolving model as different job roles and capabilities change as different as people change from one job role to another and how do you handle that elasticity of, of engagement as well as that elasticity of experience and capabilities to those employees and okay, sorry no no you're fine I, <clears throat> here's the thing you guys know too much uh, for a, a show that promises around 37 minutes of content. Um, and that's not your fault. Uh, I know that you've tried to dumb it down for me, and I appreciate that. Um, because basically what you've raised is, is extremely good considerations. And I don't want to lose time and overlook the fact that um, you know these tool sets that you've worked on, these examples that you've been citing, they come from the fact that you guys don't spend your time talking to people like me on a, on a live stream. You spend time working with customers and the teams that you represent, because I know there's a lot of people behind you as well. Can, can you comment on if anyone is watching this and they're like, okay, great considerations, you know, but you peel back one layer of this evolution as Rick says it, and it reveals 14 more. Um, but you guys have been working with people and learning and applying this to more customers as we go along. How can someone engage with you guys um, is it a briefing? Is it a workshop? Is it maybe both? Uh, what would you recommend, Charlie? Yeah, we, we offer a host of both, really. And, okay. and you know, if you if you look at the platform, WWT.com, and you dive into a couple of these topics around remote work and collaboration, we have some business continuity things out there as well. Um, there's a combination of briefings. That's usually kind of the first point is for us to share what we're seeing and to kind of learn more about the customer and, and where are they in this spectrum that we've kind of talked about. Um, understanding what's important to them at not just one office, but different offices where they may have different challenges and just getting a bigger picture of that. And then diving in from that kind of more into a workshop of, of what are the resolution points? And, and it's usually not one, it's usually a host of things. Um, and so, yeah, more than happy to engage customers directly, do some briefings and workshops and really kind of just help figure out where they are, not just technologically, but, you know, we talked about culture as well and what fits their, their business is, is important to figure out too, Rob. 
Yeah, I want to thank all of you. I mean, as I go to kind of recap here, just to wind it up, basically, as you're talking about, I keep coming back because I think it's important. It's not a revolution. It's an evolution. I like what uh, Rick kicked off with us there. I also like the fact that you guys are taking in the employee consideration versus the uh, uh, the ownership or the, the uh, you know, those running the show because it, it's a two-way street in a lot of ways to be successful here. But one thing that jumped out, you guys are saying, hey, it's not about a certain tool set. It's not about a certain, uh, it's nothing you're going to buy that's immediately going to solve these problems so we can uh, can turn away from those magic bullets. Uh, You're talking about the employee experience uh, being a definite slice for the pie, but design is um, important to fit for purpose. It's not a one-size-fits-all, not a size nine, which made my toes hurt a little bit even when you said it um, as well, David. But um, uh, there's, there's, there's pain that people are going through, but there's also some wonderful things to take advantage of and say, how do we prepare for what we've learned and where we go next because there's no question that um, you know the world will continue to move on and it's uh, all of us collectively are just trying to figure out how to be as effective as we possibly can and you guys are providing some awesome services wwt.com is where he mentioned uh, we get access to people like you uh, as well as the uh, the people that represent you behind the scenes and the stuff that you've continued to provide well guys thank you so much for joining us on tech 37 for this commentary and and chit chat if you will on uh, hybrid work a lot to consider and i look forward to doing more of it with you as we go forward thank you very much gentlemen